where I spent time in a very small English town and I fell in love with the town and a person when I was there. So it was a very kind of touching personal uh, connection for me. Welcome to Keep It Fictional, a weekly podcast for book lovers by book lovers. Build your to-be-read list with Sadie, Liz, Virginia, Fiona, and Kareen from the Port Moody Public Library. Warning, this podcast contains strong opinions and may cause an increase in your library holds list. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Keep It Fictional. I am your host, Fiona, and I'm here with Kareen, Liz, Sadie, and Virginia. Today, we have an episode for you on a specific genre. And I'm not sure that many of us uh, read a lot of this genre, so it should be interesting. <laughs> Today, we are going to be talking all about a romance and our romance picks. I'm interested to see how much that has been left up to interpretation uh, or how much actual genre romance we will see. Of course, there are many, many different types of romance. It's not just Harlequin. Uh, there's fantasy romance, gothic romance, contemporary, historical, paranormal, Christian, science fiction. You pretty much name it, it can go with romance. And of course, there are many tropes to enjoy in the romance genre. There's the forbidden love story, childhood friends to lovers, enemies to lovers. I think that is many people's favorite. Uh, second chances, breaking boundaries of social classes. So uh, I would love to hear from my book friends how they feel about this topic, how tough it was for them to find something. I know we already have some idea of who out there are the romance readers and who are the like, not just I don't read romance, but I don't want to find romance in my books. So let me know how that was for you. All right. I'm ready to sound off. And I think Sadie, you got my back on this one. I love reading romance. I am a huge, huge, huge fan of the genre. I think it is doing some of the most interesting, most kind of boundary pushing, most feminist work out there. Um, I was actually introduced to the genre of romance by one of my colleagues at the Lethbridge Public Library. I had not up to that point been a romance reader and I really needed someone to say, hey, like, what you think about romance is probably pretty outdated. I think all of us have that idea of that Harlequin book or the Mills and Boons book that is a lady with uh, her clothes in various states of disrepair and like a big bulky gentleman with a euphemistically large sword. And to be fair, as you said, Fiona, there is still some of that out there because to every book they're reader. And if you're into that, that's awesome. I've also read some of those. They're great. But I really think that judging romance has become so so easy and so rooted in the patriarchy that we really need to rethink romance. It's like if we judged all of science fiction based on having seen the first Star Wars movie. Like that's that's not what the genre is. That's not what it is doing. I love that romance has traditionally been written by women for women. 
There is there is not a, a genre of books out there that is as specific as this. It's always been about a little bit about like that female empowerment, that in female uh, fantasy, that female um, exploration of imagination in that particular respect. And because historically male authors have been given more authority in the canon than female authors, what we think of as romance stories are often relegated to the bottom of the literary heap. So if you think about it, Pride and Prejudice is a romance novel. Emma is also a romance novel. A lot of books written by women at the beginning of when the Western world was starting to write about, uh, write novels are all kind of like these romance novels. So it's, it's a genre with very, very deep roots. However, it is not a genre without problems. It is overwhelmingly straight. There has not been a lot of big publications that have been picking up LGBTQ+, and it is overwhelmingly white. So the Ripped Bodice, which is a rad bookstore in the States, which is just romance books, uh, publishes their annual state of racial diversity in romance. And the last year that they did it was their fifth year in 2020. And they took a look at most of the major publishing houses and how much romance they were publishing and how much of it was written by people of color. And in 2020, which was one of the highest years that they had measured, the total overall stats of authors of color writing romance was 8.1. And I think that's a pretty brutal statistic out there. Sometimes it feels like it gets a little bit better as publishing trends kind of solicit more from Black, Indigenous people or and other people of color, and sometimes it waxes and wanes. But I really think it's important to note that there have been some people working in the romance genre as people of color, authors making sure that their voices are getting heard, and that there are a lot of really amazing contemporary diverse authors that are that are getting out there and getting more popular and bringing the genre into the present. Yeah, so that's that's my TED talk about romance. Very passionate, very informative. Thank you, Green. <laughs> Is anybody willing to to speak up against that or for that? Not necessarily not against it, not against it. And I am not probably as passionate about romance as Kareen is, um, but I do. And I always say that I always love romance in my books. I have not been a huge romance genre reader, and I've started to delve into that genre a little bit more kind of as its own genre. Um, but I am always wanting romance in my books. I'm always craving some aspect of romance, some connection, some relationship in the books that I read. So I find that if you're looking on Goodreads under a lot of the books I read, romance will be kind of two or three tags down, but it will most likely be there. It will almost always um, be there. So yeah, it was it was definitely a hard choice today to try and pick something that might have romance a little bit more as the focus that might fit kind of more into the genre. Um, of romance. And uh, surprisingly to some people, as we'll get into this when I start talking about my book, is I did not pick a fantasy romance today, which is maybe the direction that a lot of people may have thought that I was going to go, um, was a paranormal romance, and I did not. So yeah, so I'm quite happy with my pick, but I, yeah, I definitely enjoy romance in the books that I read. Mm -hmm. And I should clarify, if you're not a romance reader and you don't want any romance in your stories, I think also absolutely respect that. I think what I take more umbrage at is people kind of turning up their nose at the entire genre. Because if you're, as as the TikTok trend goes, sorry, I'm an anti-romantic. 
that is also fine. Bill and Corinne said that just for me, just to say that, and that's totally fine. I respect everything you said about the genre. I think being a genre reader, you know how annoying it is when people think of your genre as this thing that does not even come close to what it really is. So I can respect that. Having said that, never we want to read a romance. I did it for this podcast. The sacrifices that we made for this podcast. I did it for this podcast, but that is it for me. I think unlike Sadie is what I hate the most is when they are romance disguised as science fiction or fantasy. That's the worst thing for me because I'm just like, you're just a romance. Stop selling it as a science fiction or whatever it is. But then again, I love TJ Klune. That would be the romance author I'll read anything by him. So maybe I will have to read one more because I know he has a series of paranormal romance that I have yet to read. So Liz, I know you're not wishy-washy on this one. I know how you feel. Tell us. Uh, well, kind of. Um, I don't usually gravitate to the romance section. Let's say that. A lot of books that I have enjoyed have a romance element to it. Thinking about what Corinne was saying, maybe that's why I've never gravitated towards romance. It's because, you know, traditionally it's not a space where people of color really see themselves in these stories. Um, so I don't know if maybe that's why I haven't traditionally gone in there to look for books that are marketed as romances. Yeah, I, I really don't know. Not, not that I would necessarily look for characters that maybe look like me or have the same background as me. Um, but it's nice to have the choice. So I, I don't know. It's it, it's hard to say. Like to look to look back because diversity, um, when when we started reading, was not a was not really a thing. So yeah, looking forward to seeing more people of more diverse backgrounds write for everybody. But yeah, I'm not really into romance. Thanks for sharing, everyone. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting genre with a lot to talk about because it, it has a history. And then a lot of what the focus is now is really um, subverting that history, which, which can be pretty interesting. So I'm very excited uh, to hear what everyone picked. And I, I just feel like we should start with Kareem. I, I think <laughs> you're probably dying to get, to get it out there. And we want to hear. <laughs> yeah, so this was pretty hard next to impossible. And even now as I'm talking, I can think of another 10 titles that I, I could choose, but I kind of instead decided to focus on an author whose advocacy work I have really admired, as well as her TikToks, which I very much enjoy. And she is an amazing, she's an amazing writer, but also a, a really powerful kind of mover and shaker in, again, adding and demanding more diverse voices in romance. So I think she's she's amazing. Um, it is Alicia Rye, and she is of South Asian uh, descent. And the book I chose to talk about, which is a little bit shocking for me, is actually the second book in a series. I know, Sadie. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. But romance books are often written in series. Romance authors, like mystery authors and fantasy authors, often write duologies or trilogies or long series that each one of them will focus on a different person in this town or a collection of friends. So this is part of her modern love series. And this is the book Girl Gone Viral. 
And this focuses on Katrina, who is biracial. She's half Thai. And she is just starting to re-emerge into the world again. She is wealthy. She is an ex-model. She is wonderful, kind, has a lot of good supportive friends. Um, She is a widow. And on the surface, it seems like her life is perfect. But Katrina has always preferred to stay close to home. Um, After her partner died, her severe panic and anxiety disorder were really exacerbated. And so for a long time, she has secluded herself at home where she feels safe. But she is just starting to take those first little steps of going out and engaging with the world. And one of the places where she feels the most safe is this little cafe owned by a lovely woman. And she just likes to sit and eat her food and drink her coffee and watch the world go by. And she doesn't really think any of anything of it when this kind of cute guy stops by her table and starts engaging her in a little small talk and then like casually slides in an invite to go out, which she very politely declines because she's not interested in him because she only has eyes for her super hot bodyguard with the most beautiful eyelashes known to man, Jazz Singh. He is broad-shouldered bodyguard who is having returned from combat, struggling with his PTSD. He can focus on his work, but he is not allowing himself to feel any feelings. Not even for his super cute kind of boss that they have a lot of mutual respect for. But it's fine. He can keep it under control. Neither of them really think anything about this interaction until hashtag Cafe Bay. Someone in the cafe overheard their entire conversation and was live tweeting the entire thing. Live tweeting everything that they said. Live tweeting that they both went to the washroom at the same time. Wink. And what is worth when this blows up into a viral sensation, the guy from the cafe decides to capitalize on his 15 minutes of fame and say, that all of that happened exactly like the tweets said. Katrina, of course, has her entire world shattered. She is just not ready to cope with this, so Jazz whisks her away to his secluded family farm, where his uh, family has been peach farming for a really long time, so that she can be alone, so that she can start feeling safe again, and that she can kind of get away from the glare of the media that she so desperately wants to avoid. But hey, farmhouse, secluded farmhouse, tensions running high, unspoken attraction. Can she trust her heart is what Katrina keeps asking herself. She's been burned in the past. Can she trust herself? And Jazz, can he let someone in? If he feels this feeling, is he going to have to feel all of his feelings? This is a great romance book. I love that it deals really frankly with talks about coping with a mental illness, about communication. Instead of just moping about our problems, why don't we just talk to each other about our problems, which is my pet peeve in every single movie ever. They are wonderful, fully formed characters. I loved Jazz's kind of like large, extended uh, Sikh Mexican family. They all feel like wonderful, wonderful people. I cannot recommend this entire series enough. And the rest of Alicia Rye's writing, they're really fun. And she writes 
she writes really fun, like smoking hot romance. So I cannot recommend her enough. Thanks, Trine. That really does sound fantastic. <laughs> it's nice when people, you know, get to have our real people in romances because it can be difficult to to fall in love and be in love when you are dealing with other issues. <laughs> All right. Um. Oh, oh, I feel like I just I just want this like uh juxtaposition so badly. So Virginia. Why do I knew you were gonna do that? I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> That's fine. All right. So like I said, I don't read romance, but I'm doing this with this podcast. And so I know how carefully I have to choose and how wisely I have to choose because I'm picking one. And I'm going to stick with it. Whatever happens, this is the one I'm reading because I'm reading one and one only. So I feel like I end up picking a fairly popular choice, a book that keeps popping up. It's published this year and I just keep hearing about it because I think the author's first book, Red, White and Royal Blue, I think was published maybe last year or the year before, was like super popular. And, you know, you know, a book is popular when every book that published subsequently compare it to give you like red, white and royal blue. This is the book you're going to read, you know, that kind of thing. So anyway, so I end up picking their latest book, which is one last stop by Casey McQuiston. And I'm not going to have the romance description that Corinne is so well-versed in, I'm going to focus on the fan family aspects of this book, even though it is definitely a romance. This is a story of August, who has just moved to New York City so that she can be closer to the college that she will be attending for spring. And the first thing she has to do, of course, is to get a place to live. And answering an ad that is stuck on a garbage can that said they're looking for someone, a roommate who is queer and trans friendly, who have to like dogs, but should also be okay with fire. And that they cannot be a Libra because they already got a Libra in the house. She went for her first interview to this apartment or this house. And the first thing she saw was this five foot tall Judy Garland sculpture that is made from bicycle parts and marshmallow peeps and the only reason why she knows it's Judy Garland because there's a sign that say that said hello I'm Judy Garland because it looks nothing like Judy Garland she was greeted by Nico the first question he asked her was can I touch you because apparently Nico is a psychic so Nico needs to just feel the vibes, you know, and physical contact helps to figure out whether August is like the right person. They also find out that before she moved in, they would have to clear frog bones from her room because the person that lives there collects frog bones. And also that there is another guy that lives here called Wes. Uh, you may not see him in the day because he's usually nocturnal and he's got a poodle named Noodles. Not only that, Wes is kind of hopelessly in love with this neighbor who is a accountant by day and drag queen by night. And so you might hear him practicing his drag queen routines every now and then. 
So that is the kind of Fang family that August Fang herself into. And then on her first day, she, she was going to go on the subway to get to school. And because she was so like nervous and excited about first day, she didn't notice that there was black ice on the road. And so she slipped, skinned her knee and spilled coffee all over herself. As she was trying to get herself back up, she's like trying really hard not to cry. And she's like, I can do this. Or maybe I will just turn around, try it again the next day. And she's like, no, 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 I have to do this. So she got herself up, got into the subway, trying to figure out what to do with coffee all over herself. Super embarrassing for the first day in school. And then in the corner of her eye, she saw this shadow, this person walking towards her. And she's like, no, just please keep going, keep going. Don't stop in front of me. And of course, the person stopped in front of her. And she's like, no, I cannot deal with another creepy person, you know, coming to talk to me on a subway. Please don't, please don't open your mouth. And as she looked up, she realized that it was not a creepy person at all. It was the hottest girl that she has ever seen in her life. And this girl was in a white t-shirt with a leather jacket, with ripped jeans, jet black hair. And she took out a red scarf from her backpack and handed it over to August and said, looks like you need this to cover that up. And she's like, oh, no, no, I can't take your red scarf. And she's like, don't worry about it. I can get another one. And so, of course, August now being super self-conscious. Oh, this is so embarrassing. But yet this girl is so hot or whatever she's thinking. And so she was so grateful, also so grateful of that kind gesture from some random stranger on her first day when she's having such a horrible day. Then the next few days, she got on the subway again, go to school, and there this girl is again. And she looked up and the girl was like, hey, coffee girl. And she's like, uh, hi, subway girl. And so they got to talking, found out that subway girl's name is Jane. And wow, like what a coincidence. Jane used to work at that 24-hour pancake house that she just got a job at. So she was really excited about that. They got to talking and she's like, she's like, okay, I'm going to go for it. And so she said, hey, Jane, how about you stop by the diner today? I work until six. Maybe we can go out and grab a bite afterwards. And Jane was like, oh yeah, sure. That sounds great. I'll see you then. And of course, August, throughout the whole day, that's all she could think about. Oh my gosh, her crush agreed on to go on a date with her. And she was so, so, so happy. And that's all she could think about. But of course, when six o'clock rolls around, Jane did not show up. She waited and waited and Jane was nowhere to be seen. And of course, then August is like, of course not. Who do you think you are? Like, she's not going to go out with you and go on a date. She was just like, you know, didn't want to take the subway anymore for the next few days. She was really worried about it. But as she was walking in the diner, she was like, she looked and she saw these photos on the wall. And it looks like they were taken sort of when the diner first opened in the 70s. And there is Jane in the photos. But Jane looks exactly like the Jane that she just saw on the subway the other day. So how could this be? It looks like she hasn't aged at all. And when she went home and told her roommates about it, and they're like, do you think Jane is a ghost? Maybe Jane is a ghost. And Nico, you are a psychic. Maybe you can come with me on a subway. And together we'll figure out the mystery of Jane. And that is the premise 
of one last stop. I have nothing to compare this romance to, obviously. So someone else will have to tell me what it is like. But I can tell you, I think, if you're looking for sort of a book that has, I mean, for me, a good Fang family, obviously, because this new support system with the roommates and August, it's really heartwarming to watch. My favorite relationship is definitely between Wes and Isaiah the Jack Queen. Like they are just so like they're just really fun to to watch them trying to like pretend that they don't like each other. And I think there's also sort of this queer community that they found and that August found. Um, it was such a, a big wider kind of support system that she has that she never really has one before. Um, so that was nice to see. There is a sort of a secondary plot about gentrification when the diner um, realized that they may not be able to sustain themselves anymore because rent is too high so they might have to close down and what I like about that is that it's not just thrown in there as a secondary plot line but it's also kind of tied to like the whole Jane story and the whole subway story and how they're going to save everything so that was kind of nice so yeah so if that sounds like uh, kind of romance that you might like and if you're looking for some different kind of romance like Kareem pointed out you know like not the maybe the traditional romance that you think of but more sort of like ones that featured different voices I think you might want to check out One Last Stop by Casey McQuiston. Thank you so much Virginia um, that was riveting uh, that was a like real trip listening to you describe that <laughs> so many unexpected things wow Okay, so we are going to move on to our question of the day. Um, and that question is, who is your favorite literary relationship? So it doesn't necessarily have to be romantic, uh, but tell us about uh, some characters that you love the relationship between. I feel like, Sadie, you were pretty certain about this one. Yeah, I was definitely certain. I mean... Two, two relationships came to mind as soon as um, as I heard this question. And I think they are very stereotypical to my reading taste, even though I don't think I've talked about either of the books on this podcast. Um, it would be Claire and Jamie from the Outlander series and Matthew and Diana from uh, A Discovery of Witches series. And yes, yeah, yes, see, see the nods now. See, it makes sense. It does. Um, <laughs> they are definitely kind of those epitomal couple relationships that you want to see in romance that have the passion and the understanding and maybe they don't get along all the time exactly perfectly but they kind of have that connection that you're really really wanting to see um so those those two would be my my favorites I think but I do want to give a shout out as well um and I hope I'm not stealing Virginia's in this um to Linus and Arthur from the house in the Cerulean Sea <laughs> Yes, you are. Yes, you just stole it. But that's okay. Okay, okay. That, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Great. Green or Liz? Um, I, I have two pairs that come to mind. One is from Brokeback Mountain, which is just such a short volume that's so beautifully written, and Ennis and Jack. And they are just such amazing characters who come together and it just clicks. And when it just clicks like that, it just feels like, okay, this is this is a real thing. This is very natural. And another favorite pairing of mine is the owl and the pussycat who went to sea in a beautiful pea green boat. And they got their ring from a pig and then were married by a turkey. And I think just how great is that? You know, you've got a feline and a fowl and they come together 
in a wonderful partnership. So those are my really, really ideal marriage. And I always dreamed of being married by a turkey. Small things we learned today. Now we know. <laughs> I mean, I didn't, I wasn't aware that that was an option that was under consideration. Most weddings that I've been to have been turkey free, but. <laughs> no, I actually am. Ter- sorry. I hate turkeys. I'm terrified of them. I never want to be married by a turkey. Um, <laughs> Virginia, Virginia, did you want to do your shout out? Um, well, I think if we were going with the theme of the, the, uh, episode it would be definitely would be Arthur and Linus in because it's the first book I realized you know I could deal with a romantic relationship in a book as long as it's written by TJ Klune maybe I can deal with it so apparently that's so that's why that's the first thing that came to my mind but Fiona also said it doesn't have to be a romantic relationship so I think about um you know like for me it's always like I'm a sucker for like father-daughter relationships in books um so I talk about Yotsuba before, like the relationship between the two is just like, oh, like, yeah. Um, and also I think there's another kid series called Clementine. Um, I really love Clementine and her father. Like there's just this great relationship. So yeah, so those are the two that came to mind. Nice. Um, so mine, even for being like a hardcore committed romance reader, the relationships that I actually like the most are what I would call committed life partners. So they are not romantic, but they are, they're in it for the long haul. And so the two good examples that, that I kind of think of are Sherlock Holmes and Watson. And then kind of on the flip side of that, but quite similar is um, Crowley and Aziraphale from Good Omens, the book. I just, I love their relationship so much. I just want them to have good meals and drink tea and avoid the apocalypse. I kind of thought you were going to say frock and toe when you say lifelong relationship. <laughs> It's the same idea. Like, what is Frog and Toad but Sherlock Holmes and Watson? Like, it's the same. Frog and Toad are the same. So, yes, absolutely. They fall under that that umbrella. That's actually my pick was Frog and Toad. Um, Yeah, I love them so much. And especially because, um, you know, I'm a toad. uh, um, And Frog is like, you know, this perfect, lovely uh, being who gets enjoyment out of being a caretaker. Um, so they couldn't possibly be better suited. And um, the the author's granddaughter has actually suggested that they are meant to be uh, romantic partners. So I like to hold on to that. <laughs> All right. Thanks for sharing um, those picks. Let's, uh, let's get back to our books. We've got Sadie and Liz and I still to come. Um, Sadie, you feel up to talking? I am definitely feeling up to talking. Uh, So as I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, I did not pick a uh, paranormal romance or fantasy romance, which may have been the direction uh, that I could have gone in because I do have quite a few of those. And I have actually mentioned this book on this podcast before, but I have not gone into detail um, about it. And um, this is a YA contemporary romance, which again, I don't read a ton of contemporary um, settings for books. And this one, it, I didn't expect to like it as much as I did. And I think that part of the reason that I liked it as much as I did is because it was a very nostalgic book for me, which I will explain after I kind of talk about the book itself. So the book is called A Cuban Girl's Guide to Tea and Tomorrow by Laura Taylor Nemi. And um, this story follows Leela Reyes, who is 17, and she lives in Miami. And she kind of has her life 
post-graduation pretty much figured out she and her best friend are going to move in together. She's going to take over baking um, as head baker at her grandmother's uh, bakery. And she's going to have the happily ever after ending with the love of her life, who she has been dating for the past three years. But then three things happen. What uh, Leela refers to as the trifecta. First of all, her grandmother dies. Second of all, her boyfriend breaks up with her. And third, her best friend tells her that she is leaving to go live in Ghana for a year after graduation. Now, Leela does not quite know how to handle these three things, even though she outwardly says that she is fine. She is obviously devastated by the loss of her grandmother, who she was very, very close with, as well as these other two events. And she goes into a bit of a spiral of self-destruction. And one day, Leela is a runner, and one day she goes out running and runs for hours and hours and hours and hours. And her family doesn't know where she is. Her family has no idea what has happened to her. Um, eventually, after driving around, they find her basically collapsed from exhaustion. And she didn't even realize that this had sort of happened to her. So her family makes an executive decision on behalf of Leela. They decide that they are going to send her to England for the summer. Her mother's cousin lives over in England, owns an inn in the small English town, and they think that what Leela needs is to just get away from everything for a little while, just get some space, kind of figure things out, and then she can come back and sort of look at things with a bit more of a level head. Now, Leela does not agree with this. She sees this as a betrayal from her family. She sees this as the problematic child being shipped off to another country so that they don't have to deal with her. And she takes on a personal protest when she gets there, mainly in the form of refusing to change from her Miami lifestyle, which includes wearing shorts and tank tops and flip-flops, even in the 10-degree rainy weather of this small English town. So Leela gets to England. She is very much against it. She will talk to her family, but not a lot. She thinks that they've all betrayed her. All that she wants to do is just get back to Miami so that she can focus on the bakery she can focus on making her grandmother proud and take over at least that part of her plan, take over the business and become head baker at this family bakery. So Leela is very unhappy until she meets Orion. And Orion Maxwell is a local teen from this uh, small town. And he knows her cousin, her mom's cousin, and he finds her one day working in the kitchen of the cousin's um, inn. And he decides that he is going to become her unofficial tour guide. And so he's going to show her all around this small town, show her what exactly England has to offer. So she's very reluctant, but slowly she starts to open up a little bit more to seeing what England has to offer. Orion introduces her to his group of friends. Um, there is a local band that his friends are a part of. And so she is introduced into the local music scene in this town. And the cook of the bakery or the cook of the inn is taking some time off. And Leela is given free reign of the inn's kitchen. And so she has finally given the opportunity to bake 
the items that she wants to bake in this kitchen and meld together the English and Cuban pastries and English and Cuban desserts to create these new delicious creations for the inn. Uh, so this story takes place over a summer, basically, and it kind of follows Leela as she eventually starts to, to realize that maybe being sent off to England might not be such a bad thing. There are definitely some kind of more serious tones to it. Um, Orion's mother has early onset uh, Alzheimer's. And so him and his sister are dealing with losing their mother um, in a way that they never thought would, would happen at such a young age. Um, so there's sort of the, the tra- a tragedy of that, um, the trauma of that, as well as Leela dealing with the loss of her grandmother and trying to sort of figure out who she is now that all of these things in her life have changed. Um, there is definitely a romance between Leela and Orion, as you might have guessed. It's not a twist at the end. Um, it is goes along in the way that you always imagined uh, that it would. And it's just a really lovely story about a young woman kind of going off on her own for the first time and figuring out who she is in the midst of all of this tragedy and in the midst of kind of being a grown-up for the first time and, and having that opportunity to to make these choices for herself and to kind of figure out um, where she wants her life to go now that it's not following the plan that she had originally planned out. Um, Now, the reason that I say this is a very nostalgic read for me is because the year after I graduated from high school, I did a trip to England where I spent time in a very small English town and I fell in love with the town and a person when I was there. So it was a very kind of touching personal uh, connection for me. And it just kind of brought me back to, to that time in my life where you're kind of, you're, you're off in the world for the first time and you're experiencing all these things um, for the first time. And it's, it's exciting and it's new. And yeah, it was just a really lovely story with some kind of sad bits in it, but, but just a really well-told lovely story and lots of amazing food. Lots and lots and lots of amazing food. Um, all of the pastries that Leela makes are just sound absolutely delicious. And uh, if you want to feel like it's a good fall read, even though it takes place in the summer, if you want to curl up with like a cup of tea and a pastry, this is the perfect book to do it with. So that is A Cuban Girl's Guide to Tea and Tomorrow by Laura Taylor Neely. Thank you, Sadie. I think we all want to curl up with a book and a cup of tea and a pastry all of the time. At least that is my constant. (laughs) It's true. That's true. Okay, um, so I went with a YA romance today. It is Stay Gold by Tobley McSmith. Uh, and of course, I actually uh, experienced this as an audiobook. This is the story of Pony. Pony is going to a new high school midway through, so he's going to be the new kid yet again. On his first day, he has this beautiful moment with a beautiful cheerleader in which they lock eyes and are immediately intrigued by each other. This cheerleader is Georgia. She is popular, sassy, has lots of friends, and is very desirable. However, what she really wants is to be a journalist. She feels like she could never acknowledge this because it would go against everyone's image of her as the fun, beautiful cheerleader. 
So this sounds like a pretty basic, stereotypical read in romance. However, Pony is a transgender man. And in this move, he has taken it as an opportunity to be anonymous about that part of himself. He's so excited because for most of his time since transitioning, it has defined who he is. He's dealt with bullying in the bathroom and people constantly talking about him and whispering in the halls. It seems to be the only thing that they knew about Pony is that he is the transgender kid at school. So he is super excited to start life at this new school just as a regular dude. And that is kind of Pony's dream. Nothing spectacular. He just wants to be a guy, to be seen that way, and to make it through high school just like every other regular guy. So what could be more tantalizing than having a relationship with this beautiful, perfect cheerleader? Well, Georgia is not all that she seems. She has a tendency to lie all the time, constantly, about everything. When asked a question, she makes up ridiculous stories until she eventually realizes that people don't take her seriously or believe anything she says because she's constantly lying. <laughs> As they do, <laughs> yeah. So... What I really, really loved about this book was that it did give this very basic plot, a cheerleader, a guy who's not really quite cool enough to go out with a cheerleader, and it really gave that cheerleader a lot of depth. And also, I think something we've talked about on this podcast a lot is retreading ground from a new perspective. That opportunity to see Pony find joy in these tropes, essentially, was really, really interesting. And I really appreciated that the book doesn't punish him or show him as a bad character for wanting to hide being transgender. But it does explore that further. Pony has a friend from a LGBTQ youth center who is also a trans man who's really down on Pony for not coming out, not being proud, not advocating. And through that character, we get to really see this discussion, what it means to be safe uh, and comfortable versus what it means to be proud and out and be able to advocate for your community. So it was a really kind of, it was more layered than I expected it to be. There were some weird, like, I don't know, tropey aspects to it. Pony ends up working for this actor. He's like a, like a Hollywood golden era actor. And he has to clean his house because he's sort of getting his, his stuff together before he passes away, essentially. And it was like very weird and gimmicky, but like ultimately entertaining. And sort of, you know, just added something to the story. I am so all over the place with romance. Like, sometimes gimmicks, I'm just like, oh, that's so dumb. I don't want to read this. And other times I'm like, please, like, just, oh, I just want to, you know, see this uh, miscommunication, like, turn awry and then get better again. And, like, sometimes teen romances just make me so mad because I'm like, oh, my God, next year you're going to, like, hate each other. But this romance also did a, a you know a great job of having these characters uh, who are young but really grow to to be 
together. They have to learn a lot about themselves and become better people. Uh, and it had like part of that, like, you know, second chance trope where these characters do initially like mess up pretty bad, but the romance is a device for them to learn. Um, and I like that a lot. I totally Smith is Nick Smith, sorry, is definitely an author to watch out for. I am hooked. His work is own voice. Uh, so I'm really excited. I'm hoping that he will continue to take on these sort of like classic stories from a trans perspective because it's so great when something can be be fresh again and meaningful. Okay, tell us what you guys. I'm going to talk about a book called Norwegian Wood and it is by Haruki Murakami. Yes, Murakami does a lot of magical realism. Uh, and his books usually involve jazz and or classical music and a smattering or two of cats. So this book ticks off two of the three boxes, cats, jazz, and classical music. Uh, but it is not magical realism. It is a love story. However, as we have seen in literature and in real life, it is not your traditional love story. Love stories can take many different forms. It can be young love. They can, there can be love discovered later in life. It can be romantic love. It can be so many different kinds. And it's not always a positive thing. Our story focuses around a character named Watanabe. And he's looking back on his life because on a on an airplane, as the airplane is landing and they're playing that sort of elevator type music, an instrumental version of the Beatles' Norwegian Wood. And this transports him back in time to a relationship in which this song was a favorite of somebody that he knew. So when he was in high school, when he was 17, he was best friends with somebody named Kizuki. And Kizuki had a girlfriend named Naoko. Now the three of them would hang out together but Kizuki was always the one who was like the uh, connection, the conduit. He was the one who was able to make sparkling conversation with everybody and made sure everybody had a good time. Whenever Naoko and Watanabe maybe were left in a room alone together, they didn't really have much to talk about. And they never hung out independently of, of Kizuki. Now, tragically, uh, and trigger warning for some people, unfortunately, at 17, Kizuki committed suicide. So Naoko, Watanabe, the rest of their high school class were sort of left to pick up the pieces. And this was, this was a pivotal moment for many of them. So several years later, when Naoko and Watanabe have both left their small town where they went to high school uh, and moved to Tokyo, both to attend post-secondary, they happen to run into each other on a train they strike up a conversation. It had been years since they had seen each other, but they start talking and Naoko says, hey, do you want to hang out? And so began a very strange relationship. One that even Watanabe was not always clear on how to define a relationship where two people were very traumatized by a shared event in their life and both had been independently struggling with how to deal with it. Now, they would get together every Sunday and they would just walk. They would walk all around the city, no set path, and talk every single week, like a standing date. And then one day, Watanabe can't get a hold of Naoko. 
some time passes. He's not able to reach her. So he decides to go to her apartment and finds out from the landlord that she has moved a few days ago. So Watanabe decides to start writing to her. He's concerned and he writes letters to her addressed to her parents' house. Now, some months go by, and then finally she replies. There's a very short reply, but it turns out she has moved to a sanctuary of sorts, as was described during the time. This is in the late 60s, a sanatorium. So she is trying to regain that independence in her life. She's trying to regain positive thoughts. She's working through a lot. So meanwhile, Watanabe continues to go to school in Tokyo, and he's dealing with a lot too. He doesn't socialize with a lot of other people, but diligently he writes to Naoko every single week. So over time, because of this shared bond of theirs and because he cares so deeply, they do develop a sort of a romantic relationship. He feels a commitment to her. He feels bound to her, not just for Kizuki, um, but also for her as a person and for her well-being. Now, this story continues on as we see Naoko's journey and how Watanabe deals with that journey and how he decides to support her. But also coming into the mix is Watanabe meeting other people and finding by happenstance that he has a connection with the girl that happens to go to his school. And so it is at that point that he has a conflict between two girls that he feels that he loves, one in part out of duty, one in part um, because he wants to emerge from this place that he has been in for so long and live his own life because he's realized that death is part of life. So we should make the most of our time here living. So I should have warned you, it's a bit of a downer, but definitely very real feelings. I appreciated this honesty that Murakami had about, you know, how romance is not insular. It's, yes, it, it could be between two individuals, but each of these individuals bring a lot of various things to the table, which can really impact how they interact with each other, how they interact with the world and could factor into the success or not of their relationship. So again, that's Norwegian Wood by Haruki Murakami. Sometimes, sometimes you just need contemplative or more tragic love story. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us with this episode all about romance. I think we all got through it pretty well, unscathed. I'm impressed to see all of you, mostly Virginia, <laughs> take up that challenge. I think we are going to have more challenging topics in the future where some of us have to read outside of our comfort zone. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please tell a fellow book lover about it. You can find a list of all the books we discussed in our show notes. Join us next week for another fun book chat. Until then... Keep it fictional. Mm-hmm.